here tonight. Amen. Put all the good songs and sing it. And I'm glad Jesus is right for whatever's wrong in our life. And sister, I've heard all those excuses. <laughs> I, had a, I had a couple come to church one time. They were looking for a church, they said. And I asked them exactly what they were looking for. Well, they had a whole list of things. I mean, it's like one of those cartoons you see where they got the scroll and like that. And, all and uh, I went down the list of things. I said, no, we ain't got that. No, we ain't got that. I got that. I ain't got that. Boy, it's just everything they wanted. It's like they brought a shopping list uh, of all these things they wanted. And uh, I knew right then, this is not the place for you. Yeah. They said that uh, they didn't want some preacher to get up there and get it too loud. They couldn't stand the loud preacher. I said, well, you know, sometimes I get a little loud, so uh, I don't think it's going to work out. All right, well, I do have a message tonight. Uh, if you want to turn to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 66, we take our text from Isaiah 66. It's the last book in Isaiah. What a wonderful book, by the way. Uh, it's so filled full of prophecy and uh, things of the Lord and His warnings to His people. And this is one of those, Isaiah 66. And when you get there, if you're able to stand, please stand to read of God's Word. Look at verses 1 and 2, Isaiah 66, chapter verse 1. Here the Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things has my hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of the contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. Father, we thank you for read the reading of your word tonight. Lord, we need your help tonight. Lord, we just uh, we need you to preach through us and for us. Lord, that you'll be glorified. God, keep us out of the way. We'll give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. A while back, I was visiting with a man in the hospital. Uh, he was having some heart issues. And he'd been in there uh, three or four days, but he missed a Sunday morning and a, and a Sunday night and a Wednesday night at church. He's a faithful uh, member of the church, deacon, by the way. And I went to see him, he's in the hospital, and I went on a lunch break because uh, the hospital was close to where the office was, and I was able to drive over there with him in my lunch hour. And uh, I went to cheer him up. I thought, you know, he probably needs cheering up. And so I go in the room, and he's laying there, and the first thing he said, uh, how was church, preacher? He wanted to know everything that was done. He wanted to know all the songs that was sung. He wanted to know the sermon and, and uh, what it was about and everything like that. And by the time I got finished telling him, he, he was lit up. He was crying. He was praising the Lord. I mean, he was so excited laying there in that hospital bed. They just told him he had heart problems and probably with the rest of his life. And he was excited about the things of the Lord. He said, God is good. God is good. And, you know, I went there to cheer him up. And when I left there... I was the one that was cheered up. Yeah. And it, it hit me. You know what? God's in a lot of places. He's in, in fact, he's everywhere. He's not just in the church building. Right. Uh, this is a great place to meet him, but I, I want you to know he's not just in the church building. But he's everywhere you go. He was in that hospital room that day as I was speaking to him. He's been in many hospital rooms as I visit people that sit and those that's on the verge of death and those that are dying. What an awful thing to be 
there as someone is taking their last breath. But uh, God's always there. And i got to think about that. You cannot contain God in a box. And our title message is not God in a box. It seems that's where a lot of people want to put God is in a box and bring Him out whenever they want something to do with Him. You can't confine God to this building or any building, by the way. God is everywhere. He's in your work cubicle at work. We've got these cubicles where I work and I've got my own there that's got my name on, on the cubicle wall so everybody walks by and knows who, who sits there. But uh, he can't be contained in the cubicle, but he's there. He can't be contained in your car, but I can guarantee you I've preached a lot of messages in the car driving back and forth to work. A lot of praying in the car as well, especially when you get in that traffic out of 40. Uh, you know, God is even in the remotest jungle and he's everywhere. He's present. There in our opening text, the prophet Isaiah, he's the human pendant of the scriptures, being inspired by God. And he said there in verse 1, Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne. You see, Isaiah lived in one of the very worst times for God's people. I mean, it, it was a terrible time. God had allowed them to be taken into captivity because of their sin, because of their idolatry, because of their wickedness, because of their disobedience. He had given them chance after chance. He'd sent prophet after prophet to preach unto these people and tell them, listen, if you don't turn your what, turn around, quit bowing down to false idols and false gods and turn to me and, and me be your only God, me and me alone, then, then I'm going to allow this to happen. And they would, you know, they would turn things around just for a little bit and it looked all right. And then the next thing you know, they're bowing down to false idols again. It was just like constantly back and forth, back and forth. And God gave them chance after chance, and finally said, enough. Enough. I've warned you enough. I've sent the prophets, and they've told you the truth. And so the northern kingdom went into captivity of the Syrians, and in the southern kingdom, they went to the Chaldeans there in Babylon, and the Babylonian captivity. And so it was a very bad time. But yet, despite them being in captivity, they still held on to the pride that they had in that temple over in Jerusalem. Uh, you could talk to any of the Jews that's in captivity and they want to start bringing up the temple and how they were God's people and they had the temple and God resided in the temple. You know, they, they were all about that. They wanted to kind of tuck God away in this room over here and lay claim to it. Uh, but yet they want to leave him out of their everyday lives. They want to leave him out of their daily practice. They want to leave him out of their families. They want to leave him out of everywhere else they go. But we look at that temple. We're going to bow towards the temple. We're going to pray toward that temple because God's there. Well, look, they think they've got God confined to their fine house there. But they've lost sight of the true God. He said there, the heaven is my throne. In other words, my throne cannot be minimized to just some room in a temple. I don't sit in a little room and wait for you to decide when you're going to come and see me. I'm not there waiting and fretting and rocking away in a chair, you know, uh, just hoping that you open the door and come in to see me. And I'm also not your magic genie in a bottle. And a lot of people treat God that way. Yeah. They haven't brought their life. All they get so far away from God, they, they get out of church, they, get, they quit praying. They're not reading their Bible. They're not teaching their children. Not bringing them up under the admonition of God. And some of them want to pull out the genie in the bottle and rub on it when something happens. It's like, God, help me. Yeah. But all along, they should have been faithful and obedient to God. But as far as the naked eye can see through the galaxies, stars, and planets, 
to the supernatural realm of the third heaven, God says, the heaven is my throne. Yeah. The heaven. Now, I don't know if you've ever stopped to think exactly how big God is. You can't. You just, you can't fathom it. You cannot even imagine how big God is. There's a song I sing sometimes, How Big Is God? How big and vast is, is or wide is vast domain? But it's, it's one of those questions that we can't even answer because our brains are not big enough. Right. We're not smart enough. Uh, Bill Gates is not smart enough, that's for sure. Elon Musk, he's not smart enough. Uh, none of these rich millionaires, billionaires, whatever they are, they're not smart enough. They may be able to build a computer chip and, and run a, a multi-million dollar company and all that, but they cannot even come to fathom the vastness of God and how big He is. His majesty and His glory it far extends our capabilities to even comprehend or understand. I imagine sometimes as I am like this little tiny speck of dust in God's eye, just a very tiny speck, not even, not even visible hardly with a, with a microscope. God is so big that he cannot be put in a box. He goes on to say there in verse 1, And the earth is my footstool. What a picture forms in your mind when you imagine this God of, of heaven where his, his whole heavens is thrown, his vast domain, and I just imagine his feet down on the earth because he says that's my footstool. Earth's my footstool. Now, if you're a man of the house, uh, if you were... Like me, my dad at one point had a footstool. You wasn't allowed the footstool. If dad was in the room, it's his footstool. <laughs> You're not going to get it. And if you did get it, he's going to come there and kick it out from under you and he's going to take it. Uh, that's just the way it was because it's his footstool. Well, God says here, the earth is my footstool. I own it. I created it. I breathed it into life here. I, I, I just spoke the words and it came into existence. And therefore it is mine, and this is where I'm going to put my feet. I looked up the meaning of that word footstool there, and uh, it, it comes from an unused word meaning to stamp upon. To stamp upon. When we, we think of a footstool, we imagine reclining back in the chair and the couch and plopping our feet up there. We've got those, uh, we just recently got one of those uh, uh, automatic reclining sofas, you know, where you push the button and you sit there and wait and it just like that. It goes too slow for me. I want one of those turbo buttons so I can hit it. <laughs> but uh, we don't have a footstool in the house anymore. We used to. But I think about being, being stamped out. And do you realize that we only exist because of God's good grace That's and right. His mercy? Yep. At any moment, He could speak the word, He could think the thought, or He could, like He says, the earth is His footstool, He could stomp us out of existence if He so pleased. But because He loves us, he chooses not to destroy all of mankind. And Jesus, he makes a reference to this, uh, this particular passage in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 5 and 34. He, it's his Sermon on the Mount. He's speaking to all those people there on that hillside. And he says this, But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Listen, we cannot claim any greatness to ourselves. There's no greatness to us. Any, anything that we do or are able to do or any talent we may have or, or whatever it is, it's only because God allows us to have it. If, if I breathe my next breath of air, it's because God allowed me to breathe it. Not because I can do it. 
Because God's the one pumping my heart. He's the one that's working my lungs. He's the one that's providing the oxygen. He's the one doing it all. If He's quit doing that, we would all just drop that. Yeah. Every one of us. That verse goes on to say there, verse 1, where is the house that ye built unto me? In other words, do you really think that you can contain me in a house somewhere? Do you think you have the ability to box me in? Oh, no, friend. You know, the Apostle Paul, he, he conveys these same thoughts over in the book of Acts, Acts 17, 24 and 25. He says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. You see, we, we can't even start to think that we can control God in any form or fashion. I've heard some of these crazies say, claim it, name it, claim it. Tell God he's going to do this for you. Tell him to do it. No, you're not going to tell God nothing. If God wants to do something, he'll do it. He's not going to be the iron help with it. But the Bible says he, uh, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Reminds me when when uh, Satan took took the Lord up on the, on that hill and told him he could have all the all this that he sees out there. All he's got to do is just bow down and worship him, like the devil had control over that, right. like he had, like he owned it. Solomon, the wisest man, the Bible says, the wisest man who ever lived. He built the temple, in fact. It was his, uh, his undergoing there, under his direction. And he questions the same thing during the dedication in 1 Kings 8 27. He said, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house that I've built? He understood this man of wisdom. He said, There's no way we can contain God in this, this building. How grand it is, and it was grand. It was one of the grandest buildings ever to be in existence. And he said, you're not going to be able to keep God in here. The heavens can't even contain God. What do you mean he's going to be in this house? Mm -hmm. So he understood that God's too big to be put in a box. There's no God in a box. Even though God himself designed the temple, he gave specific instructions on everything they were to do and every piece and part of it. Uh, listen, uh, and you know, he would make his presence known there. He would come to Shekinah glory would be there in the place. But the temple couldn't contain all of the presence of God. Just a little piece of him. That's why when Solomon was dedicating the temple, he stood up and he spoke these words in 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 55 through 60. It says that he stood and blessed all the congregation of Israel with a loud voice, saying, Blessed be the Lord that has given rest unto his people Israel. According to all that he promised, there hath not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses his servant. The Lord our God be with us, as he was with our fathers. Let him not leave us nor forsake us, that he may incline our hearts unto him, to walk in all his ways, and to keep his commandments, and his statutes, and his judgments, which he commanded our fathers. And let these my words, wherewith I have made supplication before the Lord, be nigh unto the Lord our God day and night, that he may maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel at all times, as the matter shall require, that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God, 
and that there is none else. Listen, these people knew the truth. They knew that God was the only God. He's the only Lord God of all of heaven and all of earth. And they were to serve Him to be obedient to Him. But they forgot it. They forgot that they were not to bow down to false idols. They didn't forget it. They did it anyway. They did it on purpose despite knowing it. They bowed down to it. There's people today that claim to be a Christian. They're bowing down to everything in this world. They'll bow down first chance they get to stay out of church. They'll bow down first thing they can to, to get away from the things of God. But they didn't walk in God's statue. They didn't worship Him and Him alone. They bowed down to those gods of the, of the Babylonians and the, and the Syrians and uh, uh, just every one of these gods that they had over there. Now, if you put a dollar bill, and I, I usually don't even have cash money. Usually we use a debit card or something like that. But if you had one, you pulled it out, you're going to find on our money, we still have the motto, the U.S. motto, in God we trust on all our money. Now, they've been trying to take that off for years and years and years. And every time it's went up before the Supreme Court or any kind of court, it's always got knocked down. They've always said, no, that we're not going to take that off the money. But yet the atheists, they keep on pushing it and pushing it. There's a lawsuit right now going on about it. There was one in Tennessee just last year, Tennessee schools, because they wanted to put in God we trust in the hallway, and there was a big lawsuit, and they allowed it to stay. But on our money, our currency, our coins, and our dollar bills, uh, too, all of our currency, have those words in God we trust. It's called our motto. Now, if you've never read the history of how we got our motto in God we trust, uh, you should go on the website of the United States Department of Treasury and, and read the history of it. There's a lot of it. I've got just a few things here I want to share with you from that, though. Uh, and you'll see why this is connected to the message here in just a minute. But uh, during the Civil War, there was a great uh, increase in religious awareness during that time. And uh, people wanted to make sure that everybody knew that uh, we were a Christian nation. And so they were wanting to make sure that the United States of America was recognized as a Christian nation. Now, we know our forefathers, most of them, they believed in God. And in fact, their very constitution, everything else, they mentioned the Creator. And they, they give credit to God. But uh, uh, they wanted to do this. And so people began to write letters to the Secretary of Treasury and appealing to add something about God on all of our printed money so that everybody would know if they got a piece of money from the United States it said in God we trust. Well, that wasn't the first model they wanted to use, but they wanted to mention God. Let me read you one of these letters that was sent. This was in November 13, 1861. It was written to Secretary Chase by Reverend M.R. Watkinson. He is the minister of the gospel from Wrigleyville, Pennsylvania. He said, Dear Sir, you're about to submit your annual report to Congress respecting the affairs of the national finances. One fact touching our currency has hitherto been seriously overlooked. I mean the recognition of the Almighty God in some form on our coins. You are probably a Christian. What if our republic was not shattered beyond reconstruction? Would not the antiquaries of succeeding centuries rightly reason from our past that we were a heathen nation? What I propose is that instead of the goodness of liberty, we shall have next inside the 13 stars a ring inscribed with the words perpetual union with a ring, the all-seeing eye crowned with a halo. Beneath this eye, the American flag bearing in its field stars equal to the number of the states united. In the folds of the bars, the words God, liberty, law. 
This would make a beautiful coin to which no possible citizen could object. This would relieve us from the ignominy of hedonism. This would place us openly under the divine protection we personally claim. From my heart, I have felt our national shame in disowning God. It's not the least of our present national disasters. To your first, I address a subject that must be agitated. Now that was just one example of a letter that was sent to the, the Treasury Secretary urging them to put something about God on the money because it's very important that people understand that the United States is not a human nation. So as a result, Secretary Chase, he instructed James Pollock, the director of the Mint of Philadelphia, to prepare a motto. In a letter dated November 30th, 1861, he said, Dear Sir, no nation can be strong except in the strength of God, or safe except in his defense. The trust of our people in God should be declared on our national coins. You will cause a device to be prepared without unnecessary delay with a motto expressing in the fewest and terrorist words possible this national recognition. So these letters have got this guy thinking now. He's right. We do need something on our money to, to lay claim to God because we're always saying that we're a godly nation. Well, we need to prove it. We need to have something on it. So he directs the, the guy, the mint, to prepare something. 1863, December, director of the mint submitted designs for new one-cent coin, two-cent coin, and three-cent coins to Secretary Chase for approval. He proposed that upon the, the designs, either our country, our God, or God, our trust, should appear as a motto in the coins. In a letter to the mint director, December 9, 1863, Secretary Chase stated, I approve your mottos, only suggesting that on that with the Washington Observe the motto should begin with the word our, so as to read our God and our country, and on that with the shield it should be changed so as to read in God we trust. In 1864, the next year, U.S. Congress approved that uh, the United States coins would be stamped with in God we trust on. It started with the one cent, two cent, three cent uh, pieces. And then eventually, in, I believe it was 1957, they started putting on the paper currency. And so Congress instituted all of these steps to having God we trust the motto put on our coins so that we can be recognized as not a heathen nation, but as a godly nation. Now, I, I've always said we're a Christian nation. People get mad about that. They say, no, it's a Muslim nation. It's a this nation. No, friends. This is a Christian nation. Godly values. Things that we believe in as Christians. But a lot of things have changed over the last 150 years since all that took place. The motto is still on the coins, that's for sure. Uh, despite the atheists and the God-haters trying to get it removed, it, it's remaining on there. Uh, but listen, do we really acknowledge God as the God we trust? Or is he the God that we like to shove away somewhere in a box and get him out when, when he's convenient? I grew up with a lady who went to church all her life. And somewhere around the midpoint of her life, she quit going. And uh, I didn't really understand it and was talking to her and stuff. And, uh, she's talking about how that, uh, you know, she didn't feel that it was necessary anymore. She'd already heard everything she, that was needed to be said. And her life and her family just fell apart, fell completely apart. Now, I'm not saying every time somebody misses church, something's going to fall apart in their family. I'm not saying that. But I do, do know there's repercussions for being disobedient to God. Yeah. There's things that go on in our life that if we would simply have been obedient to the Lord, things would not have happened. Things would have been much better. 
And even if those things would have happened, they would have had a church to rely on and to stand in and, and to have help from their fellow brothers and sisters of Christ. Yeah. But they wanted to put God away in a box. And when things started going bad, they wanted to pull him back out. Let's pull God out. Let's dust him off and try to get some help. And it seems like we've become like the children of Israel. We're satisfied to go and visit God every now and then. Some people want to go visit him on the, the biggies, the Christmas and Easter. We're going to go visit God. You know, and go all year long, never think of another thing about it. And there's faithful people like you folks sitting here. You're going to come to church. If you're dying, you're going to drag yourself into the door. I know what it's like. That's the way I've always been myself. But uh, listen, we can't confine God to just the building. He's, he's not just here. He is everywhere. But this is a wonderful place to come and learn about him and to grow mm -hmm. and to, to, uh, to be pleasing to the Lord. But this world today, the way it's been, and in Christian's life, we've, uh, we've turned a lot like the world has and just put God as a second thought. Well, if I don't have anything else to do, if I'm not too busy, and you know, that's why we used to do when we were growing up, Church was number one. Everything else coming after that. Yeah. So if something had to be done, if it's not on church day, or if it's after church, then I might be able to do it unless it's some kind of work that needs to be done. And we're not going to do that on Sunday. Uh, we didn't mow the yard on Sunday. We didn't do any of that stuff on Sunday. And uh, I mowed the yard one time on Sunday. I'm confessing to this. I did it one time on a Sunday on a ride lawnmower, and I felt so bad. I was sick. I was sick over it. Yeah. And I said, I will never, ever do it again. Now, if you do that, that that's that's your business. You know, it may not it may not convict you. I don't know, and uh, you know, I just know it doesn't mean. Yeah. Probably because that's the way I was brought up. But uh, we don't do anything like that. We'll get the ox out of the ditch, but we don't go any much further than that. <laughs> uh, but it seems like that's what people want to do. Well, I got so and so coming over this weekend, so we're not. Well, why don't you bring them to church? If they're coming over to your house and say, it's time for church, we're going to go to church first. If you're not going, I'll be back later. When it's over, I'll see you. Yep. And, uh, but no, things are different now. People say, well, you know, we've got this and that going on, and we've got ball games and all that stuff. I can guarantee you those kids, most of them are not ever going to be a professional athlete, but every one of them is going to stand before God one day, and they'll have to answer. Amen. And if, they, if they're standing there before him lost, and it's on our shoulders. If we're the ones that say, oh, let them go to the ball game. It's ball game Sunday. You know, they they got practice on Sundays and Wednesdays. They can't be at church. They're going to be at the judgment day one day. Whether they do become a professional athlete or not, they're going to stand before the Lord. Mm -hmm. So it's very easy to try to keep God in a box. We can think that we can go and do visitation. You know, it's kind of like a, a kid where their parents are split up. They think they're going to see them every other weekend or maybe, you know, once on Sunday and twice on another day or whatever. But the truth is, God don't just want our Sunday mornings and our Sunday nights and our Wednesday nights. He wants all the other days, too. He wants Tuesdays and Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays. He wants them all. Yep. He don't want part custody of us. He wants full-time visitation. Full-time. But we want to keep you in the box. I don't want to keep you in the box. I know we can't contain him that way. God's everywhere. He's too big for that. I do know this. He lives within my heart. Yeah. Even though the heavens can't contain him, I've got him in my heart. Amen. Yeah. Amen. I'm so glad that's done. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's stop coming to Psalms.
you don't mind saying as we pray if you're able to Father God, we come to you tonight, Lord. Thank you for the message. Thank you for the truth in your word, Lord. I pray it's been helpful. God has helped me just thinking about how big you are. God, how small we are. And Lord, we need to decrease, Lord, you need to increase in our lives. God help us, Lord. Lord, I pray for those folks tonight that have left the importance of church off their lips. God, may they've allowed other things to come to their life that they seem to think it's more important. And God, that they put you on the back burner. God, they tucked you away in a box somewhere to get you out when they think they need you. Lord, I pray you convict their heart and show them the need that, that you want them present with them full time. God, that uh, you die for us. You own us, God. And without you, we're nothing. Help us, Father. May we give you all the praise and glory. May we shine your light on this small and dark world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead, Amen. Brother. Page 350.